You know, uh, Mike, one of the things you were just talking about before we started the show is that you really feel old when people start doing tribute cars to Pro 50 cars you mentioned, or even vintage funny cars. There's a handful of them. When I see them on the track, I'm like, oh, that's vintage. But you know what happened to me the other day? Uh, I don't know if you're a pro wrestling guy. I'm a pro wrestling guy. Um, but Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, he died. And it was like one of my first, I think maybe the first time one of my like childhood heroes died, you know, and you're like, yeah, he's old enough to be dead. That doesn't seem like that long ago, but then, you know, you wake up and see some grays more than a few and you're like, oh man, we're <laughs> yeah. not, we're not as young as we once we're, were. Right. Oh, it's a, Definitely. it's a deal, dude. Well, Hey, thanks for being here. Let's get this thing fired up. We will uh, start talking drag racing. It's uncut, it's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. Speaking his mind. I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Exploring hot topics. Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. And spreading the gospel of drag racing. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The West Buck show starts in three, two, one. Man, I'm so glad that you were willing to do this. I was like, I want to launch this long-form version of the podcast so bad. I, I want to have deep conversations with people and not be you know, trying to keep up with all the latest happenings and plug everybody that needs plugged and reply to every comment. I want to have like hardcore conversations and let people listen in. And I'm so glad that I think really the first official version is with the one and only Mike Galimi. What's going on, buddy? Not much. How you doing, Wes? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, um, dude. It's a pleasure, man. What it, we're living uh, high on the hog when we've got the NMCA director of content and marketing on the show, man. So we feel really good about it, dude. I see your remnant of the burnout show. What a what a great time that was, right? That was uh, it was great. It was like a uh, you know what ten episodes we did. Uh, you know, yeah, and Alex Taylor. Um, it was a lot of fun. I, I think it came at a time when you know the world was trying to figure out the whole COVID thing and. Uh, it was it was great to have that just that locked in time zone that we worked with and uh, I think we I think we did a, a fun. How deal. about Alex Taylor? That young lady, I think is is superstar in the making. Like she's got a following. For those that don't know, Alex Taylor, um, daughter of Dennis Taylor, who's made a name for himself in the drag and drive scene. I believe he's won a handful of hot rod drag weeks. Uh, based out of Arkansas fabricator chassis builder can kind of do anything right yeah. and his daughter alex kind of followed in his footsteps uh pretty young gal well-spoken quick-witted just all the things that you need to be to really be a, a thriving personality in this day and age started following in her father's footsteps driving a car that uh, orange and white uh, first generation camaro started making i think she started driving that thing like when she was 15 or 16 yeah i want to say yeah it was early like in high school Right. Yeah, and yeah, man. I jumped into the you know drag week is really when people start recognizing her. And now, she, I mean, last two weeks ago at, at uh, the Sweet Sixteen, she was running a pro mod, like a radial versus the world car yeah. that was running. I mean, was a three second player, two hundred mile an hour, eighth mile car, and you're going, holy crap! What a what an ascension this young lady has had. She's got big time sponsorships. Iski, uh, I believe Holly is a huge supporter of hers. It's pretty yeah, incredible to see one with her. 
yeah, AFR and she's had, she's really doing big things. We're excited about this young lady. I think that she's got, she's really got the world by the tail right now. I think she's got probably 150 some odd thousand followers on Facebook, a similar number on Instagram. I got a little bit jealous, to be honest, the other day. She posted like a pretty straightforward photo, like nothing insane. And it got like 8,800 likes. And I'm like, I don't know what I would have to do to get 8,800 likes on anything. Like, I, I can't imagine. I'd have to, like, fight a, a, a bear or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, she's definitely definitely doing a great job. Um, you know, like you said, you know, working with her dad at, at the shop who, you know, he, he builds everything from traditional street rods all the way up to, obviously, drag race cars, right? That, that 55 Chevy that they, they built for drag and drive events is, is incredible, uh, you know six second capable and and then uh you know she has a really good understanding of social media and uh she's she's doing great like you said she's worked with some great manufacturers and and kind of really put herself out there i think it's uh it's probably actually a fun place to start because you have a lot more experience with this whole drag and drive scene than i do admittedly we went to our first or i went and participated kind of intensely for the first time at sick week a couple of months ago down uh, kicked off in Bradenton and went on kind of the full pull with Tom Bailey and company until I almost ripped my arm off. But that's another story. I couldn't get over. That was you've been going to these deals, participating in them, competing in them for a long time. And I don't know that I really I don't know. I didn't know what I was missing, to be honest. It's hard to put that whole scene into into words. But the intensity, the camaraderie, the general fun having it was the probably the most fun I've ever had drag racing, to be honest. It's uh, a completely different format than traditional uh, drag racing, right? So if you're, you know, if you're a class guy, bracket guy, you know, whatever, it, it's it, it's very reminiscent of, you know, Bonneville soft flats, right? The it's same, more of like a challenge against. It's right. like you versus you versus right. you versus everybody, kind and, of. and and you know, and there's there's you know time in between, so you know you you get you've got this camaraderie because you know not everybody gets it to race bonneville you know, a lot of people talk about it, but they don't you know let alone attend it you know as far right. as racing it very rare so you know drag week was really hard to get into and it's no surprise it's structured a lot like bonneville because you know freiberger you know he's the one who, who, who came up with the concept and he's huge on the bonneville soft flats so it's no no surprise that it, it followed a very similar concept um you know it's obviously worked out there in the salt and it it's working in drag racing it's really working. Are you at all surprised? I know the NMCA this year, at least on a couple of occasions, have like some tag team type of deals going on with Tom Bailey and the Sick Week guys. Yeah. I mean, are you at all surprised to see the explosion of popularity for this drag and drive type of stuff? We've got, what is it, Rocky yeah. Mountain Race Week, We've got Hot Rod Drag Week, obviously the OG event, Sick Week, the Midwest Drags, and, and I believe there's a handful of other smaller ones, and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. Yeah, I, I think I'm surprised it took this long. Wow, yeah. to to get that, you know, I, I, I want to say the first one was 2005 or 2006. I think that's right. And uh, you know, I think it took a while to really infiltrate a lot of the different markets, and I'm I'm really shocked that it was like the best kept secret for the longest time. You know, the first time I actually got to do it was in 2016 uh, with my buddy Mike Javanis, and you know, it was you know I had followed it for so many years, and it was completely different than anything I had ever followed. You know, right. 1320 video and Hot Rod did great coverage of it. And um, I was like, man, I, I can't believe it's taken this long 
yeah to get out there you know and i felt like you know we we, we covered it a couple different media outlets on that 16 run and i felt like it really captured a lot of the mustang market um from there so i don't, I don't think a lot of people they, they knew of it but they didn't weren't familiar with it it's for me the whole scene it's hard to put it, it i don't know what it's hard to put it into words because yeah, I mean, you've got all the standard drag racing stuff, burnouts, fast cars and and nice stuff. I was really impressed by the quality of cars because when you think about having to go beat these things up and down the highways and byways of America and carry all your tools with you and pull a trailer and all that, you kind of think this stuff's going to be a little rough around the edges, a little worse for wear. There's certainly a, that exists, but by and large, this is really nice cars, really well-kept stuff. And so there's all the, the things that you see at a typical drag race, but there's just a different feeling in the air. And I, I think it's this optimism, maybe, because you're not, you're not as wrapped up, it would seem, with what everybody else is doing. Like if you go to the NMCA, if you roll up to the NMCA national event coming up in a couple of weeks at Rockingham Dragway out in North Carolina, one of my all-time favorite racetracks, by the way, um, you know, I think from a competitive competition standpoint, you're looking to see who's there and who's qualified where, and you've got, there's a lot of pressures and I'm not saying that doesn't exist in the drag and drive scene, but it's more about like, what can I accomplish this week? It doesn't really matter what anybody else does. I'm here. It reminds me of like working out. It's like going to the gym to see how much you can bench press. It's you're competing almost exclusively with yourself. And there's obviously an air of competition. And I think sick week was the first one to institute some rules that tried to put more of an onus on the actual competition. Like you can't, you, your time doesn't count if you sit there and just you wait forever to stage, right? Or if you have a really bad light, things like that. They were trying to do things, I think, to make the on-track product a little bit better, some more side-by-side -side competition. But still, this is like man and machine versus man and machine. You know, it's a really interesting thing. And it's, yeah, yeah. I like it. It's Tom Bailey, you know, is they like to say, you know, for the adventure. 100%. You know, one a little bit more explicit than that, but uh, <laughs> I, I would say it's uh, it's definitely an adventure. I mean, it's, you know, going into the first one in 16, I remember, you know, my buddy Mike and I, we were just like, it, we thought it would just be about drag racing. We're like, oh, yeah, you, you do a bunch of runs, you hop in the car, you drive the next place. Well, like the drag racing was like that. And the, the rest of so it right. was the navigation, the, you know, the, the fuel stops where you see everybody who's on tour and you're doing like these backcountry roads. So it's only drag week people and like very few locals. And, it, it, you know, it, the adventure of it is is uh, is great. And you get to the hotel and, you know, who's thrashing on something and, you know, who's, you know, it's basically everyone just hanging out in the parking lot drinking and working on cars or talking about cars. So it's uh Definitely unique, definitely different uh, than any other type of drag racing event, for sure. I've never been to anything that, like, I'm going to Houston for the NHRA national event. What is it, next weekend, I think, maybe? Whatever, coming right up, right? The NHRA's final trip, uh, unfortunately, to Baytown, Texas for the NHRA Spring Nationals. But I'm headed down there, and I've been to 100 NHRA national events. And I love it, and I'm not saying this in any sort of, like, derogatory fashion. But I've never left going, by God. I'm ready to sell everything I got to drive a nitro funny car. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've not, you know what I mean? Like I love it. And, I, but I'm not so inspired by it that I want to do it myself. Right. I love it. I love everything about it. And of course I have some, we won the lottery. Trust me, drag illustrated would have a funny car. Right. Um, we'd probably have like a slew of them, but 
realistically, you go to those deals and I'm completely content being a fan, right? Completely content being a cheerleader and and being on the inside of the ropes, being a member of the industry, but I'm not out here like racking my brain trying to figure out how I can get my funny car license. At Sick Week, the whole time I was there, all I could think about is what I was going to buy, who I was going to call, who I was going to partner up with so that I would have a car and be able to race in this deal the next year. Like, I want to do this. I was so enamored with it. I remember sitting in the 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 little grandstand that's right there by the return road, or not by the return road, by the little, if your car blows up and you need to roll out of the water box at South Georgia Motorsports Park, that little bitty yeah, set of... Shoot. Yeah, the little shoot there. I was sitting in those stands just being a fan, watching the cars make passes at Drag Week. This is, again, before I'd ripped my arm off. And I'm watching, and I'm texting buddies. Like, I text my buddy Chris Bell at Kinetic Engineering, and I'm like, hey, man, do you still have that, like, D-stroke 500-inch Pro Stock motor? And he's like, yeah, I got it. And I'm like, okay, is it still, like, sitting unused for the last 10 years? Yep, still, still. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, well, I'm getting on racing junk and I'm going to find us a, an old pro stock car or something for 20, 30 grand. And we're, we're, we're going to team up and do this deal. And I got buddies texting me from overseas. Like, Hey, I want in on it. I'll, I'll get shocks for it or I'll get a transmission because, but that's, I, again, I've never felt that inspired to get involved, never felt as inspired to get involved as I did during sick week. And I, to your point, Mike, it really wasn't about the racing. I don't know that I even care about that part. I mean, of course you want to do burnouts and go fast, but man, I think I will cherish forever the memories made during sick week, driving through the rain, playing lead car for Alex Taylor and Joe Barry. I mean, I've got 5,000 horsepower worth of, you know, shoebox Chevys behind me driving through the rain because they can't see very well. And just all the nuances of trying to find a gas station that we can get into and, stopping to eat as a group, the whole experience, it was probably the most fun I've ever had drag. I mean, I said that already, but I, I mean it. I've done a bunch of drag racing, been blessed to go around the world doing it, but that was freaking fun, man. A blast. Did you have fun when you guys went? I mean, like, I mean, you were working on it, but it was a ball, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was incredible. Uh, like I said, very unique experience. Um, and you know, you meet so many, so many new people, right? Like you, you know, it's like, you know, you're locked into a couple different scenes. hundred percent. And that's kind of like your circle. And it was great. And we, we had a couple of friends, you know, Alex Corella and Christy and, and Willie and these other guys. But then there was this other group that we kind of, you know, merged with. Yeah. And, you know, just a cast of characters just having fun uh, for the whole week. And it's uh, funny you say that because that's exactly what happened to us. I actually told Dennis Taylor after the fact, thanks for taking us in. It, that because that's what happened. We were just there. We were driving our Nissan Path, whatever it was, some big SUV, horrible vehicle, by the way. But another, anyways, we we were just driving this big SUV, and we kind of we knew we were outsiders, right? I mean, we're from kind of a different scene, and we've got deep inroads at other sanctions and series, NMCA, NHRA, PDRA, and whatnot. We we go to a lot of races, but we just haven't been. We hadn't had feet on the street at a lot of those events. JT and I went to the hot rod drag week stop in St. Louis, like 10 years ago. It's been a long time ago, but so we've been, and we obviously follow it and we know the players. We know Larry Larson. We know Tom Bailey. We know Jeff Lutz. We know Joe Barry. We know a lot of these guys, but we kind of felt like outsiders and it was cool to see, I see Alex Taylor and Dennis. I'm like, Oh, I know these guys. Alex did burnout with us. Like, I, let's go talk to them. And the next thing I know, I'm like, Hey, y'all need any help? Is there anything we can do? Like, we just want to 
I need a dog in this fight. Like I like to have a horse in the race and they're like, yeah, man, follow us. And so then we ended up like leading the way and being navigator, which was a super fun thing to be a part of. I just, I can't really say enough about it. And I think those guys deserve a lot of credit because that event for a first year event, you know about putting on events and first time deals are typically rife with disasters and issues. And and I'm sure they had some, maybe more than I'm aware of, but on the outside looking in or being kind of loosely involved, it looked pretty damn good to me, man. It really did. It really did. And what, what's impressive, you know, uh, you know, you, you do a traditional event like what we do and, you know, you can, you can hire, you know, race directors or, or operations people and, 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 you know, all these different departments, right? There's, there's groups that are out there that, you know, that have done this before, you know, but the drag and drive side, I mean, outside of hot rod and, you know, obviously Midwest drags, and, but it's like, there's nothing like, Hey man, you know, we've got this problem. How do we solve it? And they're just kind of figuring it out. Right. Like you're, you're picking up the entire event group and moving them track to track every day, you know, so you get there, you set up, you tear down, you move on. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it offers its own complications. That doesn't have really a, a playbook to kind of refer back to. It's an interesting thing to see them fight that fight and do so well at it. Mm-hmm. I, I Honestly, I can't imagine the logistic nightmare that is, I mean, just dealing with every different track and these different track people and the different track management and different, what a what a deal. But I, I tip my cap to him, man. I was massively yeah. impressed and I look forward to being involved in yeah. as many of those deals as humanly possible. I don't know that we'll have like a full-blown race car done this year, but I'm hoping to go on Rocky Mountain Race Week in the summer in my ZL1 just to just to go, right? I mean, just go, drive, enjoy it, have fun, uh, and then maybe hopefully next spring actually have a car because Dennis Taylor, it was funny, we were sitting at a Bahama Breeze in, what town was it? I think it was Orlando. No, it wasn't Orlando. It was... Uh, Gainesville, Gainesville, Florida. We were at a Bahama breeze and we'd driven. It was late and we met them over there for dinner and we're sitting there and he's, that's somebody I need to get on this show because Dennis has some stories now, man. But, and he was giving us a slew of good ones. And I told him, I said, man, I think I'm just going to take my, my Camaro. I mean, it's a bone stock car, you know, it'll be reliable. Don't got nothing to worry about, you know, at least to, to get involved. And he's like, well, that's no different than driving your rental car. And I'm like, oh, shit, you shot me down pretty quick. You know, I was hoping I'd get a little attaboy or a pat on the back. And he's like, no, 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 you need to do it in a race car. Like if you you want it to be hard, you want it to be a struggle. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I get it. You know, I mean, however, I may not dive right into it at that level right away, but I'm blown away by the amount of roots blown, bird catcher having hot rods that Lenko equipped cars driving down the highway. Right. No big deal. Dual oh, yeah. dominators. Ain't no deal. Just rolling. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Know, the car we did it in, obviously a Fox buddy Mustang, because I couldn't be seen in anything else. But, right. Um, God you know, bless it, you. It, you know, at the time it was, you know, 790-80 car and, you know, pretty sporty, you know, but yeah. still, you know, interior, you know, this stereo still worked. And for us, it was like, you know, it was kind of roughing it, right? Like we're a little bit older. And so it's like, it's great. So you have that thing going. And then, you know, like you said, some guy rolls up next to you with this big roots blown. <laughs> You know, it's like, he's going to spend a week in that thing. Like, there's no way. Like, I couldn't do it. Um, no, no. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it fun. It's, uh, you know, the diverse cars that are on there uh, make make it even more fun, right? You pull into a pit stop and, and 
you know, like you said, there's there's the people who've got, you know, the car with the air conditioning and, and right. not roughing it. And then you get out drenched and you're like, I need a monster and like beef jerky. And you've lived <laughs> on that all week. And, you know, I think it's it a brutal like, existence. It, it, was, it was great. Oh, it's a brutal <laughs> existence. But man, what a great time. And you actually yeah. g- great little point to make here. I, I can't believe that you said it was a 7980 car. Pretty sporty. <laughs> Don't you think that's kind of crazy, though, the. As someone who's had a front row seat to the street legal movement, your involvement with NMCA, how long have you been with NMCA? It's been a long time. So it'll be uh, it'll be ten years in October. Wow, man! Um, and you've obviously been a student of the sport for a long time. Before that, we were talking before we went on the air that it was we're both kind of students of the modern era of, of drag racing. But you've had a front row seat to so much movement in the street legal drag racing scene. How crazy is it the performance that is considered pretty sporty? Right. I mean, because I mean, I think we both kind of come from the school of thought where I mean, a seven second quarter mile car is like crazy fast. In my, I mean, we're a little bit, don't you think like the whole community, the whole industry, maybe the world of, of automotive or drag racing enthusiasts are what's the word we jaded? <laughs> yeah, jaded. Right. I mean, we don't really yeah. understand because that a seven second quarter mile car is crazy fast. Like not anybody should be in that car. That is something that will sh- most surely hurt you. And it's funny, though, by your own account, like pretty sporty. It was, um, you know, it's great. You know, Mike, who owns the car, he, uh, Javanis, he, you know, um, he's overbuilt it, you know, because he does True Street with NMRA for many, many years. I think he's won 12 True Street, you know, titles. And so it's overbuilt, right? So to do Drag Week, we didn't even think twice. I was like, right. okay, that's cool. Let's do it. And, uh, you know, so I, I felt like, you know, his years of experience on the NMRA True Street side really laid a great foundation for it. And, and that was just the story we did with Muscle Mustangs. It was daily updates. You know, True Street takes on Drag Week, you know, because Muscle Mustangs is kind of the, the creator of the True Street class back in, I think it was 1992. Oh, and wow. You'll have to tell me. I'm going to ask that like, story or ask that question because I want to hear that story. Yeah. So it kind of really tied it back to, you know, the magazine and, and you know, the category they had, they had invented. And so, you know, we, we didn't even think twice, like, like literally, you know, music cranking, you know, like just old school hip hop stuff. And it's like driving through a cornfield at like 70 because everybody right. drives maniacs on this thing. <laughs> and it was like, man, like you feel like you're 18 again, you know, but, uh, but as far as seven second car, no, I mean, I don't think we didn't think twice about it. We did have problems the year after, but they were more self-inflicted with, you know, some carnage before the event that we didn't right. catch. And, uh. But yeah, it was like 16 was smooth and easy. And when there were radial cars there, that old boy with the green Mazda RX-7. Oh, yeah. That is like a freaking crazy fast car. And yeah, the Volvo, that Volvo station wagon. Like the first time I saw him make a lick on Monday at Bradenton, I'm like, what the what? What, what are we doing? He's going to drive this like a six second radial car. And he's going to drive it around the country. Beat up. I mean, that, I mean, I hit some potholes and went down some two lane roads that were pretty rough in that Nissan Pathfinder, let alone doing it in that thing. I just was massively impressed. And it, it is crazy, though. If you think back to like the Ma- Mike Moran early days of fast streetcar stuff. I mean, their eyes have to roll back in their heads, right? Because what you yeah, used to have yeah. to do. To they have had, a car that would run like that? Yeah. They, they had, what, 15 miles they had to do? Yeah. It was a big deal. <laughs> like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but think about that. Yeah. There was a time when 
if you had a car, a drag car that would make a 15 mile cruise, that was really all it took to be a street car. Right. And you were like a, a single digit elapsed time was pretty respectable, right? I mean, or more so than pretty respectable. And obviously it escalated very quickly. How fast was Mike Moran's car early in those early, like fastest street car shootout deals? So, I mean, you know, uh, like his, um, his station wagon. Like yeah. The, the little Pinto wagon. Thing. With, yeah, that, you know, that was at an NMCA race in the car show actually last year, which is pretty cool to see. Really? Like, the owner. And uh, yeah, that was like a 860 car, I think, in year one. And that thing is like rowdy as the day is long, right? Oh, I yeah. Mean, today, yeah. that's it, like it, a it, pro mod. Yeah. You, yeah. Know? you know, like cheap metal dashboard. It, you know, it was a street race car. It wasn't a street car. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is a good um, delineation because there, there's, those are two different things. There's cars that are raced on the street that are not at all street cars. I point to like every car that's on no prep Kings, every car that's on street outlaws. Those are cars that are raced on the street. They're not at all street cars, but I would have a hard time arguing with, I mean, like Tom Bailey, you know, who really blew me away. And I think JT's in the, in the green room, but we both laughed. We were at the pre-race party at Cletus's Freedom Factory, and Dave Schroeder jumps in that blue and white Corvette and literally just drove it through like the grass and kind of went down through a little, not, I'm not saying he like bounced it through a ditch, but kind of, I mean, like drove it down through a ditch. And I'm like, that thing has like an 855 rear Morrison motor in it. It's like a legit pro mod car. And he just drove it through a bunch of grass and around it was incredible. And that, how do you say that's not a street car? Right. These dudes and, driving and it. Yeah. And, you know, on in 2019, I, I was very fortunate to be part of the hot rods uh, staff covering the event. And, you know, so we, you know, we followed a lot with, you know, with Tom and Wes, uh, Wes Allison, an incredible photographer was like, Hey, can I go for a ride? And on the, one of the last legs, he, he jumped in and he got these awesome pictures of Tom, but he's like, you know, Tom drives the thing. Like it's nothing. He's like, just drive, like, like as if it's just some little cruiser. I mean, here it is, you know, full stretch pro mod style body on a, a purpose built chassis for the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, probably, I probably shouldn't say it, but Wes was like, oh yeah, he's, you know, he's checking his email for work <laughs> through the Holly dash, you know, and then, you know, checking on some things and checking the route on his, you know, on something on a, on a piece of paper, you know, as if it were, you know, the family truckster. Right. And then he's going to whip into VMP and crack off a five. In the quarter mile, right? A 250 mile an hour run. It's, I'm enamored with it. I really am. And it's, uh, it's a fun thing to see taking off. And you know, what's cool. Something I think near and dear, both my heart and yours is, I think it's amazing. They put out a magazine, right? A print magazine that is like badass. And I'm going, I've had people ask me, Hey, what do you think of that sixth magazine? I'm like, this is so good. It's, it, it warms my heart because as someone who's earned my living for a decade and a half, printing a publication, printing a magazine, and and you know you know the grind, and we all hear the same thing that prints dead or blah 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 blah. And I actually got asked this question by a a kid the other night, hit me up for an interview, and he I could tell that he's a member of the modern media world, right? Where if it's not happening on my iPhone, I don't care. And I said to him, he's like, do you have any concerns about, you know, print, blah, 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 going away, this digital revolution? And I'm like, well, the digital revolution's here. It's like well underway. (laughs) Um, It's nothing new. And I used Sick the Magazine as an example. I said, dude, great content. 
is great content. And I, I want to get your opinion on this because the example that I used is like some of the most popular stuff. I was watching Netflix last night while I was getting ready for this interview, actually t- jotting down some notes. And like some of the trending shows on Netflix are friends, right? Or like old ass shows, like from 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it what that tells me is the medium isn't as important as the content. Like a great TV show is a great TV show, whether it's on a VHS tape, a DVD, a Blu-ray, or a streaming service. Like great content is great content. And when I think about all the magazines that have failed or gone away or whatever, the newspapers, I'm not trying to call anybody out here, but you, you're pulling too much off the newswire, right? You're pulling, I mean, even in the home, my little hometown in Northeast Missouri, I would get frustrated when I picked up our local paper because it was full of stuff that's just off the AP newswire. It's just off a press wire service. They're not hiring writers to go do local stories. They're not talking about any topics or subjects that are near and dear the heart of the community. They're just going the path of least resistance. So no wonder they're struggling. No wonder nobody wants to read the damn thing. Do you, does that make sense? A hundred percent. You know, it's, uh, you know, print, print is different, right? It's a different, obviously different format, but you have to approach print differently. Like you don't do a print magazine like you did in, you know, 1999, let alone 2005, 2010, 2020. I mean, it, you know, it, you know, it evolves and changes just like, you know, podcasts have been around forever, but yet here we are, you know, with new, you know, new stuff. And I think you have to approach it differently and, and that's the strength in it. You know, I think you could appreciate great photography better. hundred percent. Um, but the presentation of print has to be, at that level really high right the days of you know where i came from like muscle mustangs and car craft and hot rod on the, on the newsstand those are long gone right like anybody who says oh you know it was great back then you know it was great but it, it you know everything's changed you know the content has changed dramatically and you have to keep up with it and you know you mentioned sick the magazine you know awesome photography great layout um very unique you know you look at wheel hub i don't know if you're familiar with those guys yeah, I've actually only recently seen it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Kim, great, great guy. You know, I knew him from back when he was a staffer at Hot Rod. You know, he and, and Robert McGaffin and somebody else, they had they kicked off this, you know, wheel hub and that's evolved into Mustang Hub and Chevy Hub. But the concentration is on, you know, a very high level of photography, making it like a coffee table book. And, you know, for Sick and, and those guys, that's a, a great way to, to present their product. I agree. I, Tom has told me, I don't want to like let any trade secrets out, but they have thousands of subscribers right. and it really speaks to me. I mean, if you go to Walmart right now and walk into the electronics section, you're going to see vinyl record players, right? I mean, nostalgia is a thing. I mean, and I think that there's a, you mentioned print, I think serves a different purpose. I mean, when we look at our media kind of platform or our offering at Drag Illustrated, it's, we recognize that all these different things that we have, all these different mediums, they serve different purposes. Like, I don't know that you're going to want to run a big advertisement for your two-week flash sale at in Drag Illustrated Magazine. That is more of a something you do via email. That's more something you do on social media. That's more something you do on dragillustrated.com. They all serve kind of different purposes, in my opinion. But it's like the novelty of staring at your phone. I mean, I look at a computer screen all damn day. And I don't know that it's that enticing to do it all night too. There was a time when it was cool to like show everybody what new thing that you're able to do on your phone. Like, oh, look at this. I can 
you know, launch a space shuttle now, look at this new app or whatever. And there's still a certain amount of that, but I don't know about you, picking up a magazine or picking up a book is a pretty welcome experience in 2022. Holding yeah, I, something. I, yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's like you mentioned, there's so many tools to reach different audiences and, and different messages, you know, where again, you know, 20 years ago, you, you didn't have all these, you know, widespread tools. I mean, you had websites. I remember, you know, in the early nineties in college going on like mustangworks.com and like, Oh my God, there's like new stuff every day. I could communicate with all these people. It was unique. And, and, you know, it was starting to get developed then, but it was still, if you were a company to deliver a message, like you said, in the advertising, which, which what runs a lot of this, um, you know, you have so many tools to, to utilize like email lists. So, you know, you know, three major social media platforms, I think, you know, in, in our market, you know, not, not including Twitter, but, um, and, and just so much, so much you can do and websites and yeah, it's, it's incredible for marketing how many avenues there are. It really is to me, I call them like arrows in the quiver. Like they all serve a different purpose necessarily. One's got a pointy tip on it. One's dipped in kerosene or whatever, and it'll set something on fire when you send it. I mean, it's, they're all, they all serve a different purpose. And what we've found at Drag Illustrated is it's crazy how little crossover. There certainly is crossover, but we rec- like we've got an audience on YouTube that's unique to YouTube. We have an audience on Facebook that's unique to Facebook. We have an audience via email, our newsletter, that's unique to the email list. And then an audience via the magazine that's unique. It's very interesting. And there's certainly, like I said, crossover, but we're blown away all the time. We actually got an email from a, a listener of the podcast that hit me up yesterday. He's like, Hey man, um, have you guys ever thought about doing anything to like celebrate the women in our sport, you know, and shine more of a light on the women? And I'm like, bro, we've been doing the women of power issue for like 10 years. Like we dedicate a whole issue of the magazine to women, but I wasn't offended by it. I was kind of excited because I go, this is a guy who doesn't know what we do over in this space. Like is not he, the way he interacts with us, would appear to be exclusively via the podcast. He's not aware of everything that that we've done. We we just kicked out I think our 175th issue of the magazine. So it's like we've been we've been telling the stories of women in our sport for a long time, dude, and it was kind of fun to to be reminded again how different all these audiences are. Do you see it that way where it's like yeah. certain people go to nmcadigital.com, certain people read faster streetcar and so on and so forth? Yeah, so you know, I think it's, you know, it, it, in the end it comes back to content. Right, yeah. great content's great content, but how you mold that content, you can have the same piece, but it's molded for you know a print version, molded yeah. for social media consumption, molded for a website, which is kind of like the middle between the you know social media, yes. super short, and in the longer, you know, print version. So you know, you take that one piece of content and you could use it across all these medias. And, and uh, you know, as a company, you know, it's important to even understand that so you can maximize your expenditure, right? Because we don't have you know, $50,000 a month to go below on whatever we wanted. Right. And, you know, so you have For to- For an be, army of people to create all that stuff. Right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a staff of 20 and, you know, this massive budget to, you know, supplement it with whatever you want. I mean, so you have to really, you know, when you, when you approach, you know, content, you have to say, okay, how are we going to use it and how can we maximize it? And uh, so for the media world, it's it's gotten complicated. You know, it's, you know, I thought it was hard when we just had a magazine to do. Right. I mean, I remember, like, oh, right? man. Yeah. Yeah. you know, I don't know how we're ever going to do another one. This is so hard. And now, and that was literally all we had to do was get the next issue of Drag Illustrated done in like a month. Yeah, we got right. a month to get yeah. this done. Websites every day. 
yeah, now we got a website. Now we got a daily email newsletter. Now we got a weekly podcast. We got another version of the podcast. We got another show we're rolling out. Like, yeah. there are so many buckets to fill in this day and age. It's uh, the expectations are high, but I do think in many ways the juice is worth the squeeze. I t- I truly believe you've got to. If you're in business in 2022, like it or not, you're in show business. I understand you may make screwdrivers or you may make wine or coffee or cylinder heads, but no better example than that hat you're wearing, Doug Cook and the guys at Motion Raceworks. I mean, this is a group of people that have fully embraced the fact that they've got a show to put on. He's putting on a show, and I don't say that in like a negative way. It's just a fact. Every day, he's waking up going like, hey, turn the lights on, turn the cameras on. We've got to record this. We've got to put it in front of people. And it doesn't mean they're not laser focused on making race car parts. They absolutely are, but they understand that the expectation that exists in this day and age and the way to really connect with people is to tell your story and show them behind the veil a little bit and let them in and you will benefit from it. And it's a, it's a long play though. I think that's what people in our sport get frustrated with, or they, they get, they get all wound up. They hear someone like me rant and raving about, they need to do this. They need to do that. we got to get, and they do it for a week or they do it for a month and they're not beating sponsors off with a stick and they throw in the towel. You got it. It's a long play, right? I mean, the content game is a long play game. And I, but I do believe the juice is worth the squeeze. I really do. I, I mean, without a doubt, uh, you know, like you said, showing up and consistently showing up, you know, you know, Brian Lone talks about this quite often when, when they had started bankshift.com, it, he's like, we barely had anybody. He says, but every day you got to get up and just keep putting the content out there. You know, and, and now, you know, the site is extremely huge and very successful. And, you know, and, but it's, it's those early days when, you know, like, it's your mom is the, the one who's, you know, the first one to see your, your, you know, what you posted that day and, and showing up like it, it, with any job. Yeah. Is, is key. And if you're, if you're going to commit to, you know, doing this podcast, well, you've got to show up and do this thing every darn week. Otherwise, it will never fly. It will never grow. And it will start small, but it will grow, grow, grow. And, you know, I think this instant gratification of social media yeah, has really hurt, I think, perception on it, on, you know, doing something. There's a part of me that wishes everything on Facebook. Like, I really loved when Instagram, and I don't even know if this is still a thing, but I think that they stopped showing, like, how many people like stuff, right? And yeah, like, it'll say your friends, through. you know, and you can, like, if you have a business account, like, you can pull it up and see yeah, you how many people. Insights, yeah, yeah. Right. But I like that it's not so forward. I, I think that people, it we're all humans, right? And we're all sensitive to a certain degree, no matter how calloused we might believe we are, we might think we are. We all have egos and it's, I feel bad sometimes for up and coming content creators where it's like, I did this podcast or I did this live show or I posted this video or whatever and it got eight views and but it's not going to go viral I mean it's very that's the exception to the rule the rule is eight people are going to watch it the exception is that 80 million people are going to watch it and there's certainly examples of that happening but you do you have to stay the course you have to show up keep putting it out there and people will start paying attention and I think the hardest part is you have to almost start out I literally just gave a little pep talk before we we started this interview. We're going to roll out a new show this afternoon, actually, and uh, with a new group of guys that that don't have a ton of on-air experience but have great personalities and tons of enthusiasm and tons of energy. I say all the time that I would rather take a 
I'd rather have a super excited seven than a jaded, been there, done that 10, right? Like I want a guy that maybe doesn't have all the technical skills or doesn't have a ton of experience, but is wound up like a physic woodpecker, super excited, wants to do it. I like those guys. And I told him this morning, you have to treat this show like it's Jimmy Kimmel. Like perception is reality. You have to treat it like the world is watching and eventually they will be. And it's, uh, but it can be tough, man. I mean, even this, even what we've been doing, I think we're on almost, we're coming up on 250 episodes of this podcast that we've done. And I still get, I can still get in my feels about it. Like, damn it, that view, that, that was an excellent episode. That thing should have a bazillion views, you know, but it's just, there's so many things that are out of your control. Speaking about technology and kind of switching gears here, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about specifically uh, your perspective, because you have some inroads in the, the the big three auto manufacturers. You got a relationship with Ford. NMCA has got great relationships with all these major automotive manufacturers. One of the questions that we had thrown to us on our normal Wednesday show was, is there a future for electric drag racing? Like, is this, can this be a thing? And I'm curious, like, do you think, like, knowing what you know about Ford and Dodge and Chevy and the various motives that exist in those companies is that a thing that could happen someday like do you see it taking off more than it has gosh uh well jump right into the controversial stuff yeah Um, controversial stuff i I think in my opinion um it'll it'll be a novelty Mm -hmm. and at least in the short term for a while um you know i think you look at global sales or u.s sales i think it is of of EV vehicles and it's what 12%, 7%. I mean, it, it's very, very tiny. And of those buyers, you know, who is, uh, you know, are they drag racers? No, they're probably not, you know, because they're, they're buying it for the environmental reason. And, and that's their, their, their motivation is, you know, the, the green energy style, you know, side of this argument. And so I think, I think instantly you have all these, yeah, the plaid 920s and, and incredible performance. And there are the, you know, there are, enthusiasts who own those cars yeah but the wholesale like we're no not an average person's gonna go out and buy a hundred twenty thousand dollar tesla so i i don't think we're gonna see a lot of it because a lot of the technology is you, know, you look at the electric cobra jet and you know the, the copo camaro before that and there's a lot of technology in there and that's not that's not for the average person right now so i i think you'd, you'd be hard pressed in a really long time before it starts to filter it into our market i tend to agree like at pri people were what was the the what was it the fifty five Chevy or whatever that yellow? I'm yeah, drawing blank. Project on the hot, X yeah, Rod. Project X from Hot Rod, right? People were pissed. I mean that that thing had an electric power plant in it. Like this thing is this is not. There's a you know Project X. I think is is really an exception. Like the yeah, it is. Vehicle. Yeah, uh, you know people have such an emotional attachment yeah. to that vehicle because you know you know in the movies and and throughout the history of you know print magazines that was the pinnacle right when when if you grew up in the 60s and 70s project x was such a huge like that's what you want aspire to build as a hot rodder and so i think there's an enormous you know emotional attachment to it and you know the ev side is you know it's it's pushing gasoline powered vehicles out so instantly we're not going to like it right because we like gasoline and oh yeah we all are relatively resistant to change even those of us that fancy ourselves open to, you know, uh, open-minded and, and welcoming new yeah. things. 
we're all fairly resistant to change. And you go taking our internal combustion yeah. engines away, we're probably going to fight. I mean, I think most of the guys that I know in this space are, they care about cars the way, like, set, people care about guns. Like, you, you can pry my internal combustion engine from my cold, dead hands. I will fight you for it. But it does seem like every time I turn around, I mean, if you type in drag racing on YouTube right now, you'd be blown away. Like, most of the results that show up on the first couple pages are Teslas. Like, blowing people's mind with these incredible performances or smoking a bunch of That's modern muscle cars, right? The top of, you know, the peak of those vehicles. And, you know, and yeah, they're, and, you know, and, and the OEs are pushing it big too. So, you know, cause it's important for them for, for selling cars, right? We, right? we don't have to make a living selling new cars, you know, but when the, when the states are telling you after this year, you can't sell a new car here. Well, if you sell new cars, that's a big problem. It's a big problem. <laughs> make a right. And so, yeah, so the OEs and their voice is so big that, you know, of course, EV is going to get a lot of attention. You know, Tesla Plaid, I mean, everybody talks about it. It's a 920 car. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. It's mind-blowing. It is. It's and silly. So I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of attention on, uh, you know, a small portion in, you know, the bigger markets, you know, speaking for the EV side. But as far as our sport, um, you know, I mean, when did Pro Stock go to EFI? How many years ago? What was it? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right, yeah. They haven't made a, they haven't made a carburetor since, what, 84? <laughs> on a new vehicle right, true so, story right so, you know that's a great example yeah, yeah i mean we should be concerned 20 plus years yeah yeah but we should be concerned you know for the new vehicle side of the market but in new people coming into the sport yeah i think there will be variety still and i don't think a full ev turnover of the fleets is going to come for quite some time and and you know i think you and i will be a lot older and probably you know, lucky to get in and out of car without assistance. Well, I think that really does happen. You know, if you look at, at how the technology is moving, it's moving quickly, but not quick enough. At the net, the NMCA seems to have always had like a really healthy relationship with those auto manufacturers, right? Uh, Chevy, Dodge, Ford, big involvement, sponsoring races, doing activations at the track. I'm curious, like, do you, A, congrats on that. And I'd love to have a little insight on how that has all come to be. Is that just relationship building? But it's just, everything. Yeah, everything. I mean, but I don't, I wish sometimes one of the things that we hear specifically as it relates to like NHRA pro stock is like, man, it'd be great to see more manufacturer support. It'd be, it'd be great to see more manufacturing, um, big auto manufacturer involvement. Uh, how, where do you see these? Do they have, an, uh, do the major auto manufacturers in America, do you feel like they still see drag racing as a valuable medium? Like on the NHRA side, how crazy is it? Toyota's involved? Like, I found that to be very interesting, like Toyota doing a funny car body. Like clearly they see some value to this, this group of people. I, I think there, there are two totally different situations that you're dealing with. Um, you know, Toyota, you, you look at the NHRA statistics and, you know, there's a lot of stuff they put in their, their marketing materials for teams. And I think it's something crazy, like 40% of the fans drive a pickup truck. Wow. You know, and, and so, you know, if you look at Toyota, a lot of stuff is driven and, I'd have to look back at the numbers. I just threw 40% out, but it was a massive number and it was above a lot of other motorsports. So you look at, you know, their, their efforts in Tundra, right. They were quite vocal. They moved to Texas cause it's truck country. Yeah. You know, so, well, pickup trucks are pretty valuable. And if you look at NHRA's, you know, platform in their fan base, you know, they drive pickup trucks more so than most other motorsports. So when you, you, you break it down that way, sure. It's great. Toyota should be getting involved. 
Yeah. You know, Great they did point. an awesome commercial. They did with Antron Brown, Alexis, and and that whole – How about that? They are Todd. That was fun. And, you know, they drag raced pickup trucks. They didn't – they drove the track in a Supra, but they drag raced pickup trucks. You know, so you have to think, well, pickup trucks has to be the lore to, to why they're in NHRA drag racing. You know, and as far as pro stock, you know, more – I think on the NHRA side, it's more mainstream automotive manufacturers that are involved. You know, we deal a lot with the performance divisions. Right. And so I think, you know, their, their, their goal is to sell new vehicles and, you know, Dodge power brokers, it's all about the new cars, right. um, you know, and, and Ford's, you know, truck line and, and Tundra and for Toyota and all that. So I think you, you look at, you know, their relationship with NHRA, you know, activation versus ours, you know, ours is very enthusiast based. You know, we're doing a lot of stuff with the Copo, a lot of stuff with the Cobra Jet, a lot of stuff with the Drag Pack. And I know Copo and, well, Copo's still going, but the Drag Pack, I mean, um, Cobra Jet's, you know, kind of seized, you know, production. But, you know, we, we've had so much involvement since day one, since 2010 with the Cobra Jet. So it's very enthusiast driven and trickles down into the streetcar market. You know, really, you know, you look at our, our Hemi shootout, you know, 70, 80 competitors. And, wow. you know, and that's, that's all just, you know, late model Hemi cars. And so enthusiast driven is, is kind of really where we, we maximize our relationship with, with those groups. In MCA, your, your factory showdown, I believe it's called, right? Factory um, supercars. Yeah, factory supercars. How about this whole scene, right? It has, I believe, in many ways exploded in popularity. I, I don't know that it really gets its due, to be honest with you. I think the hardcores recognize how incredible it is that these factory power plant, factory production vehicles on a nine-inch tire are running way down in the sevens uh, in the quarter mile. These things are sketchy as the day is long. What, what, what I mean, what's your take on that? I, I talk to a lot of people that are like, oh man, that thing is so far gone. It's completely out of control. You go to an NHRA race and guys got spare engines. It's crazy. And I know that kind of insanity exists in the NMCA as well. What, what's, what's the lay of the land on that deal? We saw Mark Palak unload his car at the NHRA Gator Nationals and go 766 or something off the trailer. Is it too far gone? Is there a way to pull it back or is, is there no putting the man. cat back in the hat? Gosh, a rabbit uh, back in the hat. I don't know what. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to say. Um, it's you know like everything in racing when it gets it gets un you know ungoverned will eat itself alive, but if you govern it too much, it'll eat itself alive, and you have to find that happy medium. Um, and I'll let others figure out that problem. I, I don't want any part of that. No. Um, but I I think there's I think what it, it's really done is identify that there is a group of racers behind the pro stock pro mod level that want to run heads up. And this is an outlet for them. You know, you look at, you know, the Skillmans who race with us, uh, Bill Skillman, I, you know, I think he's won two or three championships with us. And a lot of these guys that, you know, like pro stock might be too much of a commitment from a time standpoint, but they, they still want to run that heads up aspect. And, and I think there's a, a huge group that enjoy that. And uh, this is, you know, they're, they're NHRA people. They're not going to go build a, you know, RVW car or a Pro 275 car. This is what they're familiar with. So they really gravitated towards that category. It's a it's been a fun thing to watch go crazy, and I get it. It has gotten, I think, perhaps, but it's the curse of heads up drag racing. None of this stuff is budget friendly. None of this stuff really makes financial sense or is is affordable in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not I'm not too torn up about how fast the cars have gotten. And I gotta say that I just think that they need 
more promotion. I mean, especially in the NHRA side, that's, I believe, a part of your pro show. And I understand that that's a whole slippery slope and, you know, lumping people into the Camping World Series. It has its own strings and red tape attached to it. But that's a group of cars that need to be parked on pavement. They need to be front and center, much like you guys have in, in MCA. Like, don't you guys treat that class as one of your real spectacles? It's a marquee attraction yeah, when you roll out to an NMCA national event. You know, we, we try to get, keep our categories organized. You know, so when we do lane calls, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, Bob over there is in my right. class. He's pulling out to go. So, you know, it keeps it really organized on that aspect. Um, so we have Pro Mod and then Factory Supercars is right next to them. So, yeah, it's 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 really high up. You wow. Know? And, uh, you know, they're impressive, right? they got the big rigs. They've got the crews. They've got, you know, the parts, the pieces. And, you know, I think for me, the only thing I'd like to see is, you know, I don't know if it's rule driven in terms of performance rules or just dur- like I just want the durability. Right. Like yeah. you shouldn't have to with a 750 car. If, if we're taking a car and drag, we can go 790s and now go 750s at will, you know, and drive this thing a thousand miles. Well, you should be able to go 750s in, in a factory supercar and not have to, you know, put an engine in it every two runs. Yeah. That's I'd like to not see, sustainable. You know, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you'd have to talk to the, the, the engine builders and racers, but you know, how can you fix that problem? How can you get it to where they're not putting an engine in this thing? all the time in order to be on top. And, and if you can solve that problem, I, I don't think it really matters how fast they go. I, I mean, you know what? Right? I, if you're I really can't argue. Lap, and then you could, you could start figuring the car outs, right? So that the guy who is not as fast as you, if he's not worried about swapping a motor into this thing to go 760s, he's worried about, you know, power management, you know, more laps, more fun, better racing. And, and I think if they can solve that problem of engine durability, I think the class would be even better. The coolest thing about those cars is when they get about, I don't know, 60 or 100 feet out and smoke the tires like funny cars. That's when you really get a glimpse of how radical these things actually are is when they go out there and like break traction well down track and it just white smoke the place. And that I think is the best kind of reminder of these are not play weekend warrior race cars. These are fast, fast, fast cars. And it's, I, I think they've had some opportunities, especially on the NHRA side with like, when you've got Leah Pruitt driving one, when you've got an old pro stock legend, Mark Powick, who's also like photogenic verse verbose, well-spoken, has a story to tell, can communicate. Well, those are some stars. I, I really think that this is a brand of drag racing that could, I mean, it's already popular and it's already part of like the hardcores know about it. And those of us that are really passionate about the sport, but we see it all the time, and it seems like every time I talk to somebody about growing the sport of drag racing, the word relatability comes up. Like these are cars that still look like cars. Uh, you can go get one that's very similar, right, at the at the dealership or at your used car lot. How much do you think that that contributes to the success of the N- NMCA, Mike? Like the fact that every car that's on the property still looks like a, a muscle car, still looks like a Camaro, a Chevelle, a Corvette, a, you know, still looks like something that you can have, close your eyes and remember driving or riding in one or seeing one at a drive-in. Oh, I, I think that's the, the backbone, right? That's, the, you know, 99% of the vehicles are, are production born. And, you know, it's, it, it, you know, as I said before, you know, a lot of what we do, it's enthusiast driven. And these are real cars, real people, and, you know, you could literally go, I joke, you can go pick up the car to dealer on Saturday morning and come down, go through tech, and you'd be racing that afternoon. 
and you know we've got a, a spot for for stuff is like that and then all the way up to promo so i think it's a huge strength of the series that it's it's attacking a part of the market that not a lot of people focus on right like you couldn't go buy a brand new car and go race nhra no right like like that's not stock eliminator right maybe stock eliminator was like that 50 years ago but not today right. And, you know, I think, you know, in, in PDRA does a great job. There's no, there's no place for me to go bring a new Mustang. And, uh, you know, and, and they do a great job on the pro mod top sportsman and hundred percent, right. but not the same thing. And they're just an example. It's just a different group, right? They're focused on, on one part of the market and, and we've focused on another part of the market. And that's, don't you, would you agree that that's, I mean, you mentioned it being the backbone, but that's like, that's the future. That's what you guys are here to do. That's the audience, the NMCA is here to serve. What, I mean, give me the early in the year, I think it would have been like February, March, we were talking just, and I was kind of getting, taking your temperature on where the NMCA is at, what's, what's exciting, what's new, what's happening. And it's been, uh, I mean, I know we're only one race into the NMCA season, uh, five more stops to go in, I believe, what, Brockingham, St. Louis, Martin, Norwalk, and Indy, uh, wrap the year up in Indianapolis at uh, the newly renamed Indianapolis uh, Raceway Park, right? So that's exciting. But what, what's, uh, give us the lay of the land, man. What's new and exciting and how, I mean, it would seem by all accounts that the NMCA is as strong as it has perhaps ever been. Sure. I, you know, I think, you know, it's safe to say definitely pre-COVID levels. Oh, exciting. Like, you know, 2020 was, was, uh, interesting. Just, you know, we had to move a lot of different blocks around and, and, you know, in the event business, it's about getting your date, your consistent weekend. Like, Oh, that first weekend of March, we're always at spring break shootout. And, you know, you build an audience that way. So I think, um, you know, just getting back, back to where we were, get strong footing and, uh, and the enthusiast side, right. And, and just, huge streetcar side of it um you know we've got to deal with tom bailey at you know sick the magazine bringing bringing a bunch of those cars out at our three individual events um and just i mean it's just more of the same you know championship drag racing you know we've got how how do you think how much i didn't mean to cut you off i'm sorry i've been really trying hard to not do that um i have been but uh you just mentioned like bringing the sick week cars out and i remember pretty much every nmca national event that i've ever been to mike you guys have brought in like a sideline attraction or like a sideshow, right? And I've always found that to be really impressive because, and very smart, and kudos to you guys for having that kind of, being willing to bridge the gap and try to open your doors and bring people in. I think drag racing sometimes is so segmented and we're so, it's this is our group and everybody else, it's us versus the world. And you guys have done a marvelous job at the NMCA by I mean, I remember multiple times you brought in the stars of Street Outlaws, boosted GTs at a race, and um, you've got whatever NHRA people, or you've got other people from this weekend or coming up. You got Tom Bailey and the gang from Sick Week. How important do you think that type of thing is? We saw the NHRA dabble in it, but it was short lived, and I was a little disappointed. And obviously, COVID, and there's a lot of moving parts, and I understand. I'm sure there's a reason for why they haven't done as much of that. But I mean, in recent years, the NHRA, almost every event, you'd see some new group and it felt like they were trying to regain ground. But I think the NMCA has been served very well by opening doors, uh, opening their doors to these other groups of racers and saying, hey, we want you to be a part of this. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's always been a part of the business plan for both the Mustang Series and, and the NMCA to hit these, you know, these niche markets. And, you know, we, you know, sometimes you can't go full bore into something like we did grudge night for many, many yep. years, you know, before it was even a thing. And you kind of get into these niches, kind of, you know, give everybody a place and opportunity to participate and, and expose our brand to them. Maybe they see something on the championship side 
you know, to, to bring them in yeah. elsewhere. But, uh, you know, each market is also unique. So you have to kind of also tailor to the market. Um, you know, you could do something in one area, but doesn't apply to another area. So doing these specialty, you know, categories or, or you know, obviously celebrities are, are a great draw to bring in fans. But doing all these different specialty items helps, you know, in the market you're in. So we, we try and tailor the event to have our, our championship side really consistent, but then also have right. for the locals. Do you think that that is <clears throat> that consistency? That's whenever I hear racers talk about the NMCA, that consistency and that professionalism that exists on the championship side, I think it's a real strong allure for a lot of racers because let's be honest, a lot of these independent events and the one-off events or whatever, things change from race to race, year to year, right? Like, and I think that consistency, is that like a conversation that happens within the NMCA, like from oh, Steve gosh, Wolcott, yeah. Raleigh Miller on down, like, Hey, yeah. we're going to do this the same way. We're going to rinse and repeat. Yeah. And that, I think that can sound like a bad thing, but it's the exact opposite. It, it may be the best possible thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to do it, it's, it's weekly meetings, um, several, you know, event meetings or each group has their own meeting as well, media or the event side. And, and, you know, it just, the organized part of it is, you know, it doesn't cost us any money to be organized. Right. And, you know, we're, you know, people think we're this huge, massive company, but, but we're not, we're still a, you know, small privately owned company. So we have to maximize what we do. And so it doesn't cost us any, anything to be organized. And if you're really organized, it's, it, you know, we take customer service very important. You know, you, you know, for some people, they like to go out to dinner, you know, at a reasonable time and not at three in the morning at the Waffle House. So that's fun every once in a while. It is. And it's but not, it's not every weekend. And, and when you do it, you know, you know, nine events a year between the two series, you have to keep that that structure and expectation. Right. And if you if you manage the expectation of the customer it's going to keep them happy in coming back, you know, and, and also our sanity. I mean, like, does anybody want to be part of something when you got racers beating on the door of race control, because you know, if there was a problem, nobody wants that. That's no. not fair to them. That's not fair to your employees or yourself. So, you know, you, you manage it, you know, that way and, and keeping it organized and, you know, having a, a schedule and, but then also having the parts and pieces within the event, to adhere to that schedule. You know, our, our race director, Gavin does a great job. Great young man. Part of the drag illustrated 30 under 30, uh, this past year. Way, way smarter than, than his years. And, you know, just staying organized of, you know, when cars even pull into the burnout box, when they start to burn out constant communication with, we have our own starting line crew, you know, constant communication with them and paying attention to what's going on track so that Raleigh can deal with other parts off the track. Tech can deal with tech. And you don't have to dabble in all these different departments. He can concentrate just on running a drag race on the drag strip. And, you know, if there's an emergency situation, protocols for that. Everybody is knows their, their part. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, being organized is a huge pride for us. And, and we think a customer service that, that keeps these guys coming back. I think it's amazing to hear that I, people should be writing that down. Like, it is, it costs nothing to be organized. And what a difference it can make. And I see... And I'm not going to call anybody out here, but there are a lot of events that you go to and it's like, man, you guys just, you, you continually put yourself in these situations where a Herculean effort is required, right? Like you're in, and you know what? God bless so many of them that are fairly consistently able to pull, pull it off and make magic happen, right? And hit the grand slam when they need to. Right. But it's like, man, that is a very difficult to sustain 
approach where every weekend you're rolling in going, man, we've got to, everything has to go perfect in order for this to work out. That's a tough spot. When you do it, you know, once or twice a year, you know, I, I think, you know, like you said, you can get lucky or you can be really unlucky. <laughs> and you know, when, when you do it, when you're there one to two times a month in season with a similar crew, I mean, you know, I think we've, you know, I think it's a 70% crossover on our, our, our event crew, you know, cause we don't carry all these guys full time. You know, I think you have that cohesion to where you're always, you, you know what the other person's thinking, right? Gavin and Raleigh probably rarely have to communicate a situation because they both identified it and they both know their place on, on what to handle. And there's that, un, you know, like, you know, you, you've worked with people where it's just like you're on the same wavelength. And I think a lot of people on our staff are on the same wavelength because we've worked for so many years together. You know, we've retained so many key employees that that helps in, you know, being organized and, and you know, that tribal knowledge and, and the expectations. And so I, I think, you know, you do it once or twice a year and you don't do it full time. I think it makes it a lot harder. Right. Because this is what we do every, you know, every week we have meetings, set meetings. They are, you know, you don't miss those meetings. Those are those are standard operating procedure. You have to be in them. It's and over that stuff. And it clearly pays off. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can literally ask anybody that's ever been a part of the NMCA world, any, a part of that community. They all point to that. Like, hey, they're going to do it the way they do it every time. We never have to wonder. There's an order of events to things. And it's, <clears throat> it's tough because those are the type of details that maybe don't get talked about as much as they should. Because I point to the NMCA as a, as tight of a ship as exists in the sport of drag racing. And I, we're, we're coming up here. I want to, I've got a couple more questions for you before sure. I let you go. And I'm going to throw you right back into uh, the hot seat because <clears throat> NMC pro mod is it's no secret. It's like my favorite type of drag racing, right? I love pro mod racing of all shapes and sizes. And one of the the hottest topics have been like just how strong outlaw eighth mile pro mod is right now, whether it's NMCA extreme pro mod, whether it's PDRA pro boost, pro nitrous, Midwest drag racing series, pro mod division, the, the region, Northeast outlaw pro mods up in your neck of the woods. We got them series and sanctions all over the East coast and the Southeast down here in Texas that are strong. There's a handful on the West coast that are, are, are significant. Is the answer to, to increase the participation within NHRA's, what I believe to be the premier pro mod racing league in the, on the planet. I mean, it's, I know we're all pride, proud people and whatnot, but I've always pointed to the NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series, especially in like the last 10 years, as the final frontier for Pro Modified Drag Racing, right? Is the solution, switch those bad boys to eighth mile, is the quarter mile the problem? I, uh, I think in the short term, quick answer, yeah. I think, I think it, would, it, it, would, it would help tremendously. I think, um, you know, NHRA has done things, and not, not to say it in a negative light, but I think they've, they've handled pro mod in, in a way that I think it's hurt its viability, I think, for people to aspire to. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it's no secret, you know, the, the, the safety rules, what was it, two years ago? Yeah. That really put a hurting on anybody who said, you know, I'm, I'm running this outlaw deal. Let me, let me change it up for a quarter mile and yeah. jump into there. You know, and, and I think the schedule got to be really long. I think, you know, um, you know, visit some places that maybe ProMod, you know, go back to the local side of it. You know, the ProMod's not popular. Um, you know, they're not they're not the top fuel guys where you can go on top of the mountain and it's they just do it. This is part of it. They've 
buy, you know, how many thousands of pistons. Right. <laughs> so so right. you got your mountain set, right. You know, and, and, uh, so I, I think they've, they've made some moves that have, that have hurt. And I think short term, I think you can can look to the outlaw eighth mile uh, to to kind of really help solve that car count problem. I tend to agree. I'm, I'm not sure that I support it, but I agree. Like for us, we've had this conversation a lot and I and I like to have it because people seem to have a lot of varying takes on it. It, it evokes um, a lot of passion and enthusiasm because people are pretty set in their ways about this type of thing. And I've always believed the the difference maker for the NHRA series was that it was quarter mile. Like that's right. you're plugging this thing in high gear and holding on for dear life. And you're going 250 miles an hour. And this is what separates the men from the boys and the pro mod guys, the professional mod guys from everybody else. Right. But I also recognize that we're at a point where the cars are so fast Right. I mean, the top four or five alcohol funny cars in Vegas this past weekend for the four wides, two tenths quicker than a pro mod car, a top flight pro mod car, three tenths, maybe. I mean, it, these things are bonkers fast. So maybe I mean, there's a lot of arguments that I think are very valid can be made to make them eighth mile. However, I do think it would it would lose some of its luster as this. Would, would it, yeah. I mean, would it be just a, another eighth mile class? Uh, right, but I think it's where um, you know the platform of an HRA I think has to be, you know, is higher elevation, yeah, than other stuff, and not not taking anything away from anyone else, but that's still you know that's still the, the top of our sport. Wally's, whether you like or not, yeah, whether you like them or not, it's they're still the pinnacle of our sport, and uh, I you know I think that prestige alone might be able to carry it. I I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't. It would be just a guess. It's way more of a motivator than I personally realized. Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I knew it was a motivator, but I thought there were ways to counteract it, you know, with big money and special treatment and pomp and circumstance, a phrase I love to use. Like, I thought there were ways to counteract the allure of an NHRA national event and racing for a Wally, but I was wrong. Like, there's, I don't know that my go to example is I put up 100,000 to win at the third annual world series of pro mod out on thunder mountain in Denver, Colorado at Vandermeer speedway. And we're going to park you in the freaking staging lanes. If you want 700 tickets, you can have them. If you want to park your motorhome in the water box, you can, whatever you want, no entry fee, whatever you need. You want nachos? We got nachos. Not I mean, whatever you want, we're going to give you. We treated those guys like Lords and ladies. It was unbelievable. And 11 of them were willing to make the tow to Denver, Colorado in, in 2019. And a couple of weeks later, there's 30 or 40 of them parked in the gravel at Indy for the U.S. Nationals. And I'm like pulling my hair out. And I get it. I get it. And I, I, it took me a while not to like take it personally because I was pissed for about two years. Right. An emotional roller coaster. Oh, you know, I mean, I could hardly say the word promod without like getting a little sick to my stomach. I was so right. bent up about it. But, and I get it. And there's a lot of, it's, there's no like single answer or singular thing right. that, that caused that. I mean, racing at elevation is obviously a huge ask and it, it more of an ask than maybe I realized and, and more of a deterrent than maybe I realized. But tabling that, my main takeaway from it was, these guys, you cannot take racing for a Wally. That's the deal. I mean, people 
wait their whole lives for this. My dad and I were talking about it this morning, actually. He goes, there, there was some controversy that like maybe somebody took a dive at the NHRA national event uh, this past weekend in Vegas, right? And it's not even worth mentioning because it's total garbage, but it was brought up on social media. And my dad goes, Any, had that kid ever won a national event before? And I'm like, no. And he's like, then there's no way he took a dive. Like if you're in a position to win a Wally. It is kill or be killed. I mean, you would do in any drag racer worth his salt would all but sell his soul for that little trophy. I, I you know, I enjoyed it like like so many people. The Netflix F one series, yes, yeah. And um, was it the McLaren? I think McLaren race when Ricardo was was leading. You know, they tell the second guy like, "Hang back." He's like, "Okay, understood." <laughs> understood. Like, he could have overtook his teammate for the win, but. You know, team orders, hang back. And not one person's ever questioned that. Or, you know, you don't see F1 fans freaking out like, my guy didn't get to win because the team, you know, principal said no. And you don't see that. Like, I mean, so, you know, as far as taking dives, I mean, it's a team, right? I mean, teams has to work together. I think it's a valid point, man. People don't like it. This is a touchy subject, right? And I didn't even mean to go here. Well, before we do, real quick, do you agree that like there's perhaps no greater motivator in the history of drag racing than that Wally than a Wally? It's, uh, it is massive. I think uh, those who downplay it uh, don't understand it. Yeah, I agree. They haven't been around it enough to say, "I get it." And I think if you're exposed to it and and see it from a different perspective, I think most people would would understand it. Um, you know, I know the, the 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 controversial also between you know money payout. Yeah. And it's like, well, the, you know, the Wally doesn't make sense. You know, the, the payout in top fuel doesn't make sense either, but you don't make money on payouts. You make money on your sponsorship. And I, I think, Correct. you know, a professional class is pro mod, you know, you make your, you make your salary, you know, on, you know, from your sponsor dollars. Yeah. If, I think if you're going into these events entirely reliant on, and I know there are guys that are, I get it. Right. You know, if you're entirely situation different. Yeah, I mean, everybody's situation different, and I don't think anybody is good or bad for whatever their situation is. We're all playing the hand we were dealt to some extent, but if you're drag racing, especially at that level, and you're 100% reliant on the purse, this is the first of many problems you're about to encounter, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, you're, you're going to have a rough go. Yeah, you're going to have a rough go of it. So it's been drag racing's, you know, the, the money inside of the sport's been like this since the 60s. I mean, it's nothing new. Yeah. You know, a guy like Gene Bergstrom who works with us, who's, you know, he's been intimately involved in the sport since the 60s. And it's it's no different. And, you know, the 100,000 to win and the, the clear suitcase and people <laughs> diving in to deliver it. I mean, it's, you know, it's always been a part of the sport. It'll always be a, a question mark. But, uh, I mean, it is what it is. Do you think uh, this is another thing that I have used as an example for, you know, to other people, if I do any like consulting or get my ear bent talking about how to improve an event or what I think you should do. A lot of the things that I point to are things the NMCA does and it, your winner circle celebration. Right. And I think that all that, the Wally is kind of in a league of its own, let's say. Right. But I'm telling you, man, all that extra stuff, the champagne bottles, the big ass check, the, the photo with Steve Walcott, right. I mean, that is a big deal. That part of most, so many drag racers are only going to win once. I mean, I know a ton of them that have never won anything meaningful. And that's, you know, that, that it goes back to, you know, conversations we have in these meetings. It's like, you know, again, you know, you don't, you, you can't have, you can't give the, the big check to everybody. We'd go broke with right. all the classes we have in the amount of yeah. events. We'd, we'd have a $10,000 bill just in checks. 
and we couldn't afford to do that. But, um, you know, you know, you look at what you can afford to do and it's again, you know, beer and champagne and, and drinks, you know, that may be the only time someone's ever won one of our events and you want them to walk away with that memory, you know, the photographer that you can go get, you know, go get it from Brian Epps, that picture of you and your family and your friends in the winter circle, because that might be the only time. Dude, I get emotional about it, man. I mean, I could like ch- get choked up because it's so, and I, I, I wish sometimes, I think that it's so easy to get jaded, like race promoters that are in the, that are in the thick of it, right? That they're putting on a lot of events or they've been doing it for years and years and years. You get a little bit numb or desensitized to how much each one of these individual things, these individual happenings mean to people. And I, I think back to the the handful of winner circle experiences that I've had and those feelings and emotions and memories and I think that what you guys do at the NMC, and I'm not saying you're the only ones. I mean, Donald Long has done oh, a great job. Right. You know, it's yeah. it's a it's a whole <laughs> happening, right? Yeah. It's a whole thing. He's got a freaking throne, and yeah. you know, it's bonkers, and swords are getting thrown around, and you know, it's. But those moments, those memories last a lifetime, and the money that you win, you're going to have it spent by the time you get home, or, or you may be in the hole when you started the weekend, so you need that money to climb back out of it. And I just, I do hope and pray that there are more race promoters and more of an effort is put onto that because I think it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of like, man, we got to make sure the track's badass. We got to make sure the rules are on point, blah, blah. We got to do, and obviously, but it's funny, those, that's an, that's an expectation that, that, that should happen. That's not extra. That's not going the extra mile. I mean, the track should be great right? As good as you can make it. And, but I think so much effort and energy gets put on those things that nobody's putting an NMCA logo on a champagne bottle, right? No one's getting cool ass trophies made. Nobody's getting checks printed. And those type of things, one of my favorite stories of all time that I love to tell as a, that serves this, this, uh, this conversation quite well is there was a, a, a an upstart sanctioning body that was putting on races or whatever. And of course, not, not at all unusual. They had a number one qualifier award, right? So uh, this guy that I know, a well-known racer, very successful dude, he, uh, he and his son qualify number one for the first time in their lives, right? I mean, in, in this particular category, huge moment. They had had limited success in this new drag racing arena that they'd ventured into, and they finally get it done. Put that thing at the top of the sheets, right? And as is so often the case, the official series photographer comes over. He's got another guy with him, a sponsorship liaison dude, and they've got their plaque, you know, their eight by 10 plaque or whatever. And they hand it over to him, you know, and say, hey, pose by the car. We're going to get your photo post it on Facebook or whatever. Put it in our magazine. They take the picture and this dude is looking at the at the the plaque, you know, and you can you can tell that it was like a moment for him right? Like we've worked really hard to get this, you know? And anyways, the little assistant, the sponsorship guy goes, Hey, I, we need that plaque back, you know? And he's like, what, what, what do you mean you need it back? And they're like, that's just a prop. You know, we just, we use the same one for everybody, you know? And this old boy all but saw red and said, what, what are you talking about? A prop? Like, what, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, nobody cares about trophies. You just want the money, right? Here's the check, you know, just all anybody cares about is the check. And this guy goes, keep it. 
I don't want that. I want this. Like that check, we're 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 upside down in this. That <laughs> five hundred bucks is not going to help anything, right? It won't feed the team, right? Yeah. Like keep that. But you you are not no, getting this that. plaque away from me. Like this will be on the wall of our shop till the end of time. People will pose with it. Like this means everything to me. And I use that story quite frequently because I want people to recognize, especially if you're on that this side of the business. Like if you're in the event promotion, if you're putting on races and it's, I mean, there's got to be more active race promoters than ever in the history of the world, right? I mean, I don't, I don't admit to be, uh, I don't claim to be a, a student of the early days of drag racing, but man, everybody on the internet is a race promoter. And I hope they hear that loud and clear that it's great to have everybody pitch in a thousand bucks and race for a hundred grand or have these crazy fields and have these crazy pots. But buddy, you better have a freaking plaque. You better have a trophy. You better have something. And that's how we got, you know, that's how we got, you know, our Victor trophy. That's what we call it. And, you know, we we had always done plaques and and nice trophies, but it never, it never had an identity, right? Like a Wally, like when we had no, no aspirations of building a Wally, but, you know, Vic Edelbrock was, you know, was super awesome to us, especially in the early days of the series and really getting the company off the ground and, and huge supporter of what we did. And so, you know, when Vic was getting up there in the years, we wanted to kind of, kind of, you know, thank him for what he's always done. So it's like, his name's Victor. Like, why not have the Victor trophy? You know, you're Victor of the event. And, and that's, and that's where, where the trophy idea came from. And we wanted that when you grabbed it, you knew you won something, right? It's got it. It's got to be heavy. Right. And we, we've have, you know, internally we have, minimums of what we, you know, and we've, we've obviously run into some supply problems and we can't always have that heavy trophy, but it's, you know, when, when you win the championship trophy, don't drop it on your foot because it will break it. You know, <laughs> the championship victor, it's massive. It's huge. It's heavy. And, you know, it costs us a fortune to ship it to people because they're like, Oh, I don't want to take this on the plane. It's like, all right, we'll ship it. <laughs> right. But, right. You know, but, but, it, but you, you feel, you know, an accomplishment. You know, when you go grab that trophy, you know, off the top of your car or take it from Steve when he presents it to you, 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 you it, it hits you physically that you've won something. And, and that's, and, and to us, that's very important. Like you said, you know, the money will come and go and it's, and it's an important part for sure. But, you know, when, when you have this on your mantle in, you know, or, you know, in your office, you can, you know, you can look at it and feel like, man, that was, that was an awesome weekend with, you know, your closest family and friends. I couldn't it said so well, Mike. Thank you. It's I do think that it's a touch of a, a little bit of a life hack, right? For like an up and coming promoter is, you know, it may not work for a 22 race series to to earmark some of the purse money for for pageantry. But I tell you what, if you've got a race or two a year and you don't have a ton of money to throw at the purse or you're a little bit concerned about that part of it, man, buy the biggest trophy you could afford. And that, that cold is a strong art, motivator, man. You know, the guy, cold, cold, hard art. It does incredible trophies. And you see a lot of, there, there are, and you know, not that, you know, there, there are single events that do use them. Yeah, so we did it. We used cold, hard art trophies in 2020 with the World Door Slammer Nationals down in Orlando. And people, I mean, I think people would fight to the death to, to keep those things. I mean, they, they turned out incredible. Yeah. My biggest regret in that whole deal is I, I had to make two, right? <laughs> he made two, one for pro mod and one for pro stock. None for and you. none for me. I, I should have had a third one made. And we actually made that same mistake in 21 because C-Tech did C-Tech, the cabinet manufacturer who do everything they touch is badass. It's like the best, yeah. the best stuff. And they did these 
crazy incredible trophies for us that were like a scaled down miniature version of a of a c-tech toolbox with these big fins on it it was incredible and i should have made them get me one because i've literally been looking at them all week leading up to our race going i'm gonna have a hard time giving this to anybody like we need to keep this shit like i want this for myself man yeah and and uh you know you could see over my shoulder i've got a wally over here i don't know if it's in frame but i also yep. have you know an emirate championship trophy as well and uh you know it's it they they sit behind me and you know i i've you know, I always joke I've got a, a you know an NMRA championship jacket and a, and a championship trophy, and I've never made a, a, a run in competition in the NMRA ever. <laughs> it's cool though, man. But, I mean, uh, it's- I mean, you know, even even if they didn't win them, it's still you know to be a part of it and to have that remembrance of you know of, of a great year and uh, and you know getting one of those you know because we don't give them out to everybody on staff, so it's it, it's it's it nice. means something. Yeah, exactly, and then that's huge. It really is, man. All right. Well, as we wrap this thing up, Mike, again, I want to push, uh, tell you thank you so much for the time, dude. You've been very generous with us, and I think there's a lot of really good stuff that we've covered here today. Give me uh, – I know the next stop on the NMCA tour is coming up, Rockingham, North Carolina. Like, Give us just a little preview of the immediate future uh, for the NMCA, and then like, let us know all the places we can follow you on social media and online and the NMCA. Um, so yeah, so April 21st to 24th at Rockingham Dragway, which will be my first time ever going there. And then, uh, yeah, I've never been there. Um, and then, uh, we head out to St. Louis, the worldwide, uh, technology raceway with our Super Bowl race, which is always a good time. And one of my favorite tracks, uh, then, uh, you know, the NMCA goes on break for a little bit until July. Um, then we're at us 131 motorsports park. Month later in August, uh, weekend before U.S. Nationals, we have our All American Nationals at uh, Norwalk, um, and then you know wrap it up at Lucas Oil. Uh, well, I don't even know what they're called anymore. Lucas Oil, and I think it's Lucas Oil Park. Raceway Park, or no, it's yeah, Indianapolis uh, Raceway Park. I think they ditched yeah, the Lucas Oil thing. The yeah. So we finish up at IRP in uh, in September. Killer, man. Well, we're excited. I hope to see you at one of those, maybe a couple of them. One of my favorites has always been the Super Bowl of street legal drag racing. It used to happen at Route 66, Route 66 Raceway outside of Chicago, but uh, now it's in my my old backyard in St. Louis. So I, I may join you in May at uh, the streetcar, uh, the Super Bowl of street legal drag racing. Mike, thank you so much for the time, dude. What? How do we follow you on social media? Uh, oh, specifically? Yeah, you Mike Galimi on, on Facebook and Instagram. I am not uh, super active, but uh, I am always online, but I'm never really posting much up. But uh, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and NMCA. You can NMCADigital.com. We you know we try to keep that stack with fresh racer news and press releases and racepagesdigital.com for kind of a little bit of everything. Thanks, man. I appreciate you very much. We'll talk soon, okay? That's good. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, brother.